This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast episode with myself, Adam Strong. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversations. And uh, oh boy, we have a great guest on the show today. Uh, Someone that actually has come into my circle very recently and extremely experienced in his topic and subject. And something which I'm a real big fan of, and it's piqued my curiosity more than anything else. So, um, So who we got on today's show is probably the million dollar question. And today is Chris Hood. Now, who is Chris? Chris is a digital strategy expert and the author of Customer Transformation. Uh, He's um, been in the game of AI marketing and business development for the past 35 plus years and is the host of the Chris Hood Digital Show. Now, uh, his former roles included uh, heading up uh, digital strategy for Google, which is uh, which is a real big one, and uh, as well with Fortune 500 companies, including the likes of Ford, uh, Fox Broadcasting, and Disney alike. So you know we're going to be talking a lot of great juicy stuff, uh, all the things around AI and storytelling and digital transformation, all those types of things. Um, the other things we actually be speaking about actually is we're going to be talking a little. I mean, we've had some great conversations around AI. But I really kind of want to hear it from the horse's mouth with regards to someone who has had great insight in working with some of the big corporations. But more importantly, ladies and gents, how you can utilize some of the tools, strategies and resources without having to have the big budgets like the big corporations have. So, you know, that's going to be a real game changer, I think, as part of this conversation. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit about. Um, we're going to get, I'm going to get Chris to share some insights about, you know, some of the uh, digital strategies that he employed with working with some of the uh, the companies. And hopefully he can give us some insight and kind of delving deep and things like that. So it's going to be a great show, by the way. So I just wanted to kind of give you a bit of a heads up. Now, if you're listening to us live, use the hashtag live. If you're listening to the replay, use the hashtag replay, of course. And, uh, and like I said, uh, what I was going to say to you is if you want to, f- I would highly endorse you go make sure to check out Chris's book on Amazon. We'll put all the link below, of course, and check him out on social media. Go give him a follow, give him a quick share, give him a hi, whatever it might be. Uh, and I'm sure in due kind, he will respond. Anyway, less babbling from me. Chris, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. You know, it's really interesting. I, um, I mean, you know, your uh, experience in working with uh, Google and uh, sort of, you know, in in being in charge of business digital strategy is, is that's what it's called. I mean, that must have been. Uh, I mean, your experience in working with Fortune five hundred companies, you know, that that's that's a, a biggie. But to work with Google, one of the biggest 
I suppose one of the biggest digital companies out there. It must have been a, is a bit of a game changer. How how off, how long was you with them for, and what was what kind of tell us a little bit more about how your job what your job entailed? Yeah, well, I was with Google for about six years. I did a little consulting uh, independently with Google just before that, but during that time, I spent a lot of a lot of my effort was focused on this concept around digital strategy. And I think if we even look back over the course of the last six, 10 years, even the concept of what digital strategy was has evolved. So what I did mostly was went into companies, organizations, our customers, and worked with them to really try to figure out how they were going to adapt and evolve and innovate new ideas. So you might have somebody like, I don't know, like a Home Depot who comes and says, you know, we've got this really great idea of how we want to engage with our customers. Is it possible? How do we make that happen? What, what are the technologies that we use? And during that process, we would go back and forth. Well, have you thought about you know this? Have you looked at it a, a different way? Um, and, and so every week was something really interesting and exciting because whether it was Domino's Pizza or Mattel Toys or you know, cruise lines or McDonald's or Starbucks or, you know, Target, like go on and on and on. You're having these really massive conversations about how to think about digital strategies, maybe a little differently, but also how to innovate in order to support their customers. And that was what I really enjoyed the most of, of my time while I was there. I guess each business has its own set of challenges and you know, value propositions or whatever it is. And I, I suppose in a way, you know, Disney has a very different value proposition to like Home Depot, as you'd kind of mentioned. And I suppose, you know, having create crafting, as I like to call crafting these different, different, different digital strategies according to the business must have also given you some, uh, I, I guess, giving you some kind of, I don't know about you, but when I work with clients and you see the transformation and you see the result at the end, it kind of gives you that sense of satisfaction. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, it's interesting that you talk about like say Disney versus, you know, fill in the blank. Home, did you say Home Depot? Yeah. Like Disney versus Home Depot is a great analogy because there are some differences in terms of that value, but then there are some great similarities. Actually, there's only one. <laughs> and and what's fascinating about this is that you can watch Disney over the course of definitely this last year mm -hmm. how their values are actually starting to change. You could, if you really analyze Disney, you see that they have a, a shift of what's happening. They are, they are, they are moving drastically away from the original vision of Walt Disney and have become this new entity, all based on values that they they hold. And and I'm not one to get into the geopolitical, social, you know, <laughs> challenges here, but you can clearly go do your research and see that there is a change in values for Disney. On the flip side, you have Home Depot, and I, I would argue that they have also changed some of their values in terms of uh, maybe to the opposite extreme as Disney, but they still have a, a change in perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but here's what's interesting. In the middle of both of them is one truth. They all need to align with the values of their consumers. Because if they don't, as we've seen from Disney, as an example, you start to lose customers. 100%. Another great example of this is Anheuser-Busch recently this year, 
I talk about it extensively in my book, how they have shifted and as a result, lost millions of dollars, right? So this value is not just a, an internal value of what makes them go. There's an alignment that has to happen within their organization to their customer, because at the end of the day, no matter what, you are serving the customer. And if you don't do that, you're going to lose those customers. Yeah. Or ultimately lose your business, right? If you don't have customers, you don't have a business. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I, there were a couple of companies that came to my mind, which no longer are around, but were around maybe in my childhood, probably in your uh, 20s or 30s, which will be places like Tower Records or, um, you know, so that's a classic example, Blockbuster Video, like when we went down to the down to the shop and got a VHS, right? It doesn't exist anymore, right? Because they fail to innovate and they fail to identify the, the digital strategy about around that. So um, yeah, it's some good points there. Love it. Um, I want to kind of get some, get some ideology around that because being a business strategist, it's a little bit different from digital strategy. It's very, very different in terms of like innovation and just kind of like uh, tactics because you have to kind of think to yourself more kind of like in the future digitally type of thing. Do you know what I mean? So, but I'd, I'd love to know what your thoughts are about the key steps of crafting a digital strategy that can lead to a customer transformation. Maybe you've got some stories that you could share with us. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you said, you know, business strategy versus digital strategy. Is there really a difference? I, I think mm. that's a valid question that we could ask ourselves. Mm. It's interesting because I had a conversation uh, about a month ago and somebody said, the signs of a great leader is the leader that focuses on their P&L. Mm -hmm. Now, you would argue that from a business perspective, your P&L is your lifeblood, got it. However, without customers, we'll go back, without customers, you don't have a P&L. So right. you just have an L, <laughs> you just have a loss. So you, you can't argue that the business focus is any different than, again, a digital focus. What are you ultimately trying to do? you're trying to attract customers into your business. Mm. The difference with digital versus business, where maybe business, you could say, look, we're, we're focused on our operations, we're focused on you know, HR, we're, we're focused on the, you know, the P&L, all of those sales, whatever. You, you can argue that that's the business side of it. Mm. And the digital is the technology side. But again, this is an argument that I make drastically in my book, which is you're not serving anybody other than the customer. True. So even from a technology perspective, you're not bringing in technologies just for the sake of bringing them in. So many organizations right now are looking at AI and they're thinking, oh, well, we got to get on the bandwagon. We got to bring in AI. We've got to use it. We got to figure out how to use it. Why? Like, unless you can tell me directly how this AI is going to help your customers, there's no point in doing it. You're wasting money, time, and resources for the business. So true. So the digital strategy has to still have this focus on the customer. How are we going to engage with them? How are we going to connect with them? What do they want? So I'll ask you a question. It's a, it's a very, I'll say it's a rhetorical question, but if you were to go into a grocery store today and the grocery store said, oh, uh, sorry, we don't take debit cards, mm -hmm. what would you do? 
Well, you don't have any cash in your pocket, most likely. You're going to leave the store, go down to the street to another grocery store, and go find a store that takes debit cards. That's because our expectations today are, I want to go into the grocery store, buy groceries, and use my debit card, right? right. And, and you could use that analogy across really any type of business. You are a consumer. We are all customers. And what's amazing is that when people think about the digital strategy, they're not putting themselves actually into the place, the role of the customer and saying, well, look, if, if I was walking into our store or if I was engaged with our company, how would I expect? And it's amazing how many times that, well, I find it frustrating, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> Change it. Like this is the concept around digital strategy is you have to go and meet the consumer where they are with the technology and the platform that they want to engage with you. And if you do that correctly, then you're going to drive more business. The next step is to do it easier, right? So I, I was looking at a grocery store uh, just a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. I was uh, looking for a product um, and I was trying to find a grocery store in the area that had the specific product I was looking for. And I, I got to one of our local stores. I won't name the names. And uh, I was trying to do a search. I found the search and it says, uh, you know, you, you would like to say, is it available at my local store? That's a common feature, but it required me to log in. It required me to create an account, log in, and then it would tell me if it was available at that store. No. What did I do? I left. I'm like, well, I'm not going to that store, <laughs> right? These are the convenience things that we have to think about. And if you're putting up roadblocks, these barricades, preventing people from getting the information that they need, yeah. you're losing those customers. Sure, and your sure. argument won't ever pan out. Because if your argument is, is, well, we want to capture their information. Well, you lost a sale. What's more important, their information or the sale? Right. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, I can so, I so agree with you on this. And it's a bit like, you know, if you go across to a website and you want to get a hold of their brochure, but they want you to opt in for the brochure, yet they're already interested. They're already interested in dark guys, but you're kind of making it hard for them. It's like, no. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Rant over. <Yeah. laughs> Love it. <clears throat> anyway, just on the AI bandwagon, as we, we were talking about AI, um, and even when we were talking to AI um, offline the other day, actually, um, just out of curiosity, how could kind of the small business owner utilize AI and digital tools more effectively and, 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 and also kind of like maybe even using the same resources in terms of accessibility with regards to, say, corporations? Because corporations have larger budgets, don't they, compared to smaller, smaller companies. But from your perspective, like how can the smaller business owner get access to the AI tools that maybe the Disney's or the Home Depot's are using? And is it accessible? Yeah, all of the AI tools that everybody is using is accessible to anybody. Cool. So anybody can use them. And I would say your starting point would be to use something like ChatGPT, right? Yeah. So I'm sure you've talked about it. And it's, it's relatively low cost. It's relatively simple. Because here again, it goes back to why are you using the AI? And if you can't tell me a value proposition for your customer, why you want to use the AI, then you're no point in using it. Yep. Don't do it. You don't, you don't even have to do it. 
So if you're you're a small business and you're sitting here thinking, oh, I got to go use AI, my first question is, is can you tell me why you need to use AI? And and the and the answer is because everyone else is doing it is not the <laughs> correct answer. Okay. <laughs> or because I think I'm going to get left behind is not the correct answer. Okay. You, you've got to tell me why your customer wants it. Okay. So then then you have to wonder what where are the areas that I can leverage AI? Well, if we're using specifically chat GPT and generative AI, then we're talking about basically I want to ask it questions and accelerate my my ability to respond. Mm. So some of the questions you might ask are like, uh, I'm interested in entering a new market. Um, you know, I, I'm interested in uh, offering my product on a different channel. How might I go about that? Provide me 10 steps for entering this new channel. Yeah. Provide me 10 ideas about how I can market my product. Provide me a roadmap for what I could do for the next four months in order to increase my sales by 100%. ChatGPT is going to return a response to you, and it's going to be fabulous. It's going to give you a lot of really good, strong direction. The next thing would be just marketing and content and strategy. If you have a blog and you're trying to get people to your website, you want to have an SEO, you know, go have ChatGPT write a blog for you. Yep. I highly recommend that you do a little editing on it. Highly recommend that it's in your voice. You know, do some grammar checks, all of those types of things that are is a manual process. But go have it write a blog. Let's say that you are a pillow manufacturer uh, creating pillows of stuffed uh, animals for <laughs> children. Great. Write me a blog post of the 10 reasons why stuffed animal pillows are great for kids. <laughs> and it will do it. And it's going to be fabulous for you. Go edit it, grammar check, post it. Quick, easy. You can do a blog post a day leveraging ChatGPT. Yeah. Right? Agreed. And then there's some other extensive marketing things that you can do with other tools. There are plenty of tools out there like creating videos, uh, creating you know background music, having voiceovers, AI voiceovers. There, there's a lot of different types of tools out there that will help you kind of create this uh, really elegant marketing message for you, which is for any startup business, it's it's fabulous. I'll, I'll give a really quick example of this, uh, not to overly promote it, but if you go to a, a company called Poly, P-O-L-Y, API, so Poly API, all one word, P-O-L-Y API dot I-O, okay, so Poly API dot I-O, on their homepage, there is a video, it's called like Explore Poly, if you watch that video, that entire video was done with AI. No. So all of the images, all of the music, all of the voiceover, um, all of the segues, all of it was done with AI. There, there was just a little manual manipulation from what I heard, but it gives you an example of what you can accomplish. And here's the punchline. That entire video was created for free. Wow. So That's you can insane. get an idea of the power of AI right now and what you could potentially do. Amazing. Uh, I don't know if you got that, guys. You know, if you are listening to this in the car or in the gym, make sure that you've written that down in your notes section and go to that website and check that out. So seriously, that is 
a great golden nugget. So thanks very much, Chris. That's a it's a really good one. Um, interesting. Um, now you mentioned. Uh, I was going to say to you, going back to what you said around storytelling as well, because I know that you're a you were really big into the whole kind of storytelling thing. So can you share maybe some of the storytelling techniques or technologies that uh, some companies had used to uh, build brands and connect with their audience and things like that? I, I mean, I know that you share a lot of them in your in your book, Customer Transformation, right? Yeah. Look, there's two sides of storytelling. There's the brand side and there's the consumer side, right? So from right. a brand side, you have to understand what your message is. What are you trying to convey to the customers and then be able to attract people based on that messaging? It's a story. It's no different if you were to just say, look, hey, this is another thing you could go do in ChatGPT. You can say, build me a brand story based on and fill in a couple of concepts. If if I go back to the uh, stuffed animal pillow company, like I want to have a story about stuffed animal pillows and maybe all of a sudden those pillows come to life. There's characters, they have a storyline, how they uh, connect with the child, children, uh, nighttime woes go away, whatever it is, build out that story and be able to share it as a story. For those of you who are, uh, say, solopreneurs, your startups, it's all just you, you have a story. What is your personal story? How did you get to this place? Why are you starting your company? Be able to answer some of these questions as if you were in an interview, because that story is what's going to build a relationship with your consumer, which is what you ultimately want to do. The other side of this is your customer wants to kind of partake on their own journey, right? We, we talk about customer journeys, customer experiences. That story has to fit into their lives. Now, this is where we get into areas of like personalization. Uh, you know, that's a big thing. We believe that AI can be one of these catalysts for personalization so that I come, I get a personalized experience for me. Amazon is obviously doing a great job of this right now, but I've often uh, attributed this to something like a choose your own adventure story, right? <laughs> like if you've ever read those books back in the, you know, again, 40 years ago, uh, choose your own adventure. You you read a couple of pages. It would say, like, choose A or B. And if you choose A, go to page 37, finish the story. Um, you could do that type of stuff with AI in your storefront, right? You, mm. Person comes in, you get a little information on them. You, you understand who they are. You present them an option. They pick B. They, they get more customized experiences. Like that is a story that is interactive and evolving directly on your website. So thinking about stories from both perspectives, I think will help you really get, uh, you know, the, the vibe that you want for your company out in, into the, uh, world. Love it. Very cool. Uh, interestingly enough, with regards to when you're working with Google and working with some of the fortune 500 companies that you were kind of assigned to, was there any, um, I suppose, was there any particular situation or particular company that you found particularly challenge, challenging or your team found challenging working with, for whatever particular reason from a digital perspective, maybe they didn't have certain things in place, or maybe you just, I don't know, were getting a bit frustrated because 
what you were trying to tell them and what they were doing were completely polar opposites. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've had plenty of that. Is there anything that kind of springs to mind? And what was the what was the context? What was the backstory? Give us give us some insight. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. You know the the unfortunate reality is is that there's a lot of businesses that just don't get it. Or they don't care to get it. They don't, you know, they think they're, they're smarter than you. Their egos get in the way. <laughs> you mentioned Blockbuster. The reality is the only reason, the only reason Blockbuster went out of business was because of their egos. Yeah. Wasn't because of anything else. Wasn't because of technology or disruption or customer or anything. It was egos. And I see it all the time. I, I, I have several stories in my book. So if you want really good, <laughs> juicy stories, go pick up the copy of the book. Um, but you know there it, it's 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 really fascinating to me when you can go in and you can have a conversation and there's a there's kind of a spectrum you you have people who just don't get it legitimately don't get it they they don't see it they don't see how that could work yep. for them all the way up to the egos like you don't know what you're talking about we're not going to listen to you right um and and in between there's you know a, a good mix of people um I remember I had one conversation and it was with a, it was the CIO of a large technology company. And on the call was about 15 of his support staff. And I was giving some suggestions about how they could uh, potentially look at the business differently. And as a result, open up an, a, a new channel where they could potentially generate some more money. That makes sense. And, and the CIO responded and said, we're not in the business to make more money. What? He literally, I, this is, this is Sorry. not, what? this is not just me making up a quote. This is literally what he said. He said, we are in the business to maintain where we're at. The status quo is ideal for them. Now I'm sitting here thinking like I'm, I'm literally in shock. Like you, you don't care about growing your business. And I, my only thought was the 15 other people who are on his team, who are sitting here listening to this, how many of them are thinking, why am I working here? Like, so, so again, the, the cliche term is this is how we've always done it. Oh, so God. because this is how we've always done it, this is how we will continue to do it. So if it's not ego, it's culture. If it's not culture, it's misunderstanding. Um, I mean, but what, yeah, I mean, I you know, say, there's. What do you do with that? I mean, seriously, when a CEO turns around and says, uh, "We just do things the way we want to do," like, what do you say to that? I mean, that's such a hard comeback, isn't it? Well, you you. So <laughs> look, <laughs> the the good thing about my time at Google, and especially now that I'm a consultant, is yeah. I don't really care. It's your business. <laughs> Look, so I got very good at recognizing there's an opportunity or there's not. Your ego's in the way, it's not. On yeah. that particular call, once he said that, I said, ah, I see. Well, I think that wraps this call up. Thanks for taking your time. Don't want to waste any more of your time. Like just in the call, like there is absolutely no point. And, and you you can see it. There, there are moments that you can see when the light bulb goes off, like, Oh, they yeah. got it. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's moments where you can see they don't care. In both cases, you're like, oh, thanks for the time. See you later. 
your business, <laughs> not mine. Oh you know, my god! If, if you don't want to grow your business, you know that's fine. It just absolutely um, bedazzles me when when you know when you're on a call like that. Uh, you know they're there for a purpose, right? They're there to, you know what I mean. And then it's kind of like, well, you just told me you don't want to grow your business. What's the point of this? <laughs> it just yeah. it, it just absolutely bedazzles me. Anyway, I digress. Um, bringing me on to um, uh, sort of another sort of topic, I suppose, is, you know, you mentioned around the whole kind of, we, we talked a little bit about it already in the conversation is innovation. And I feel like, um, you know, for, for business leaders, and you've mentioned it just a second ago, how can business leaders foster that culture of innovation and adaptability, but more specifically in smaller organizations where maybe budgets are not high, maybe the resources are a little bit tight, you know, it's kind of, you know, operating a bit of a tight ship and stuff like that. I'd love to know what your thoughts are about that. Yeah. Actually, uh, smaller businesses have it easier right, <laughs> than larger businesses. So if you're a startup, you're a smaller business, yep. you know, one person, Obviously, it's your decision. Exactly. Uh, two people, you know, figure it out. Uh, you know, three, four, five, six, ten people. It, it becomes it's a lot easier when it's a small team, right. because when we talk about culture of innovation, the foundation of that is to say that everybody is responsible for innovation. Yes, ideas can come from anybody. So if you have ten people, all ten of those people should be crowned chief innovation officers. Like that's yep. what they are. Every 100%. single one of them. Love it. When you start getting into larger organizations, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, that's where the complication starts because typically what we hear is, uh, you know, hey, you know, Charlie, uh, you know, my boss, hey, I, I, I've got a great idea. How about if we do this? That's not your job. Go back and do what you're told to do. You know, leave it to the innovation experts. <laughs> and when that happens, you're frustrating people. And, and what really happens is they leave, they take their idea with them, they go to another company, and all of a sudden, your competition has this idea, and all of a sudden, an Uber is born, and you're like, what the crap? So, you know, <laughs> so everybody is responsible for innovation. And if you maintain that mindset that, that ideas can come from anybody, that everybody is responsible for innovation, that's the culture you're looking for. The next step to that is how do you manage it, right? So maybe there's a budget consideration in there, maybe not. I mean, the, the video that I just pointed out on Poly API, like, that costs nothing. So somebody could go and say, look, I've created this video. How about we use it? Well, in a small company, if somebody says no, well, that's a problem, right? Um, so there's there could be some budgeting, but I would argue that the, the biggest opportunity for that budget is to reward people for their ideas. Yeah. Like have a suggestion box. If this suggestion box gets implemented, Give them a little bonus. Give them a gift card to Starbucks. Give them something to say, thank you for your ideas. We appreciate it. Love Heck, that. even the people who submit ideas and you don't do anything with, give them recognition. Like, we just got some great ideas by blah, 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 blah. You know, we're going to put them in the stockpile. Like, be honest. Don't say, we're going to think about it. Say, we're not going to use it, but we want to recognize you. Thank you for the idea. That is how you build these cultures. Love that. Love that. That's a great golden nugget. I just thought that was just absolutely 100% golden uh, value bomb. Um, that brings me on to while we're here, is there any particular exercises that Google employed when you were there in particular with regards to, you know, trying to encourage innovation 
you know, was there a particular ritual that you did on a weekly basis? Or, you know, again, I, I just want to kind of create some new ideologies for some of our listeners. Yeah. There's three basic premises at Google. The first okay. one is in every team meeting, you're opening the floor for opportunities to talk about innovation. Anybody is empowered to raise their hand and come up with a suggestion. That's set in the framework, the culture of the organization. You, you don't have to necessarily set some time about like, okay, we've got a five-minute innovation time. Does anybody have any ideas? We're not talking about that. We're talking about like if you've got a team meeting and you're sitting around like here's what we're doing this week and whatever. If somebody raises their hand and says, hey, you know, uh, about that, I was thinking, could we like, yeah, let's talk about that more. Take it offline. Like you were empowered. It doesn't matter what the meeting is. If I was in the meeting with the CEO of Google and I raised my hand, I would get called on and I say, have we thought about and I can ask like that empowerment is so critical. We call it. Also, there's an element to this called psychological safety, right? Which is that if I make a suggestion, I'm not going to get ridiculed for whatever the suggestion is. Like, oh yeah, here's Chris again. What a boneheaded idea. Like none of that is present. Everybody can raise their hand. Everybody can make a suggestion. Everybody's going to get heard and no one's going to be ridiculed for it in Love every it. meeting, no matter what. Okay. Second one is, is that we have this concept called 20% time. And what that means is, is that the theory is that this is legitimately, a, a you know, theory. research is that yeah. no one is really working 40% of the, t or 100% of the time on their 40 an hour uh, work week, right? No, no one's working 100% of the time. Right. So if you took 20% of your time away from the job that you were hired for, so you're hired for sales, but for 20% of that, you are allowed to do whatever you want to do. Hmm. You can go learn a new trade. You could go to a class. You could read a book. You could work on a new project. You could join another team. You could come up with an idea, right? So, uh, for example, I did a podcast while I was at Google. The podcast at Google was my 20% job. Nice. So my full-time job was digital strategy and innovation. And for 20% of that time, I did podcasting at Google. Love it. Love it. Right? That opens up the doors for I have an idea. And now the manager doesn't have to say like, oh, go back to your job. Don't work on that. That's not your role. They can say, spend your 20% and go build it. Love it. Build your 20, you know, take that 20% time and, and find somebody else to join you. Build a little team, right? And, and so innovation comes. Here's, here's the, the golden nugget for you. Gmail was created by a 20% project. So you can see how that can evolve if done right. Love that. And then the third one is the outcome or the results of doing all of this. It, I, maybe not outcome is the right word, but, but what I found was actually pretty fascinating. So there was multiple times where I had some ideas at Google. And what I discovered was that other people on other teams basically had a similar idea. And so what was introduced and, and I think this is part of the nature and culture of Google, is you basically build these little startup environments, these little startup communities, no different like if I was to go create a startup and now I've got competition, you're building that directly inside of the organization and you have competing startups on the same idea 
And eventually, how everything works, one of them is going to percolate to the top and win. Now, why do they do that? Well, there's some friendly competition involved, but also survival of the fittest. The one that percolates to the top and wins usually has more sustainability. And so as a result, you get clearer understanding of the innovative ideas. You can, you know, really ensure that they are on the right track and then prove it. And then proving it, you went out. And then typically what would happen is you either fund it, you build a, an extension of the team on it. And I saw that happen a lot at Google where, you know, it started with an idea, it built up, and then all of a sudden there was like a team of 50 around it. Love that. Love that. It's interesting just to kind of get some of the, uh, what I call it, the insides, right, of what some of the, well, the biggest digital transformational company out there, you know, it's one of the biggest, you know, so it's, that's great. I love, uh, I love what you shared there. Um, in your, um, in your book, Customer Transformation, you talked about the seven stage strategy to aligning customers. Maybe you can walk us through that and what that looks like and how it is applicable to a company that is looking to embark on more kind of digital transformation, digital strategy, if you like. Yeah. So Customer Transformation, the book that I recently uh, wrote this year, is a seven-stage strategy, and it's all about customer alignment. It's all about what we were talking about earlier, like between Disney and yep. Anheuser-Busch and Home Depot. Um, the seven stages really quickly. That's okay. <laughs> uh, the seven stages really quickly are one, customer, yep. two, interfaces, three, journeys, four, ecosystem, five, culture six technology and seven business. Okay. So customers, interfaces, journeys, ecosystem, culture, technology, business. Business. Yep. Yeah. Now I'll try to quickly summarize these. I won't go into a lot of detail on all of them, but, but these are designed in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. They're designed what we call the outside in perspective. So we go okay. from the outside, starting with your customers, and we work our way inward to our business. Okay? And if, if we follow this, you've got a customer that wants to interface with your business, right? So you have to understand that interface. That takes them on a journey to engage with your business that is built within an ecosystem or a community that leverages the culture of your organization by which we use technology for and generates business value, right? right. That's how it flows. Yep. What's really interesting is a lot of organizations want to go inside out, which mm -hmm. is basically, we are a business. We have our own ideas. We're going to pick some technologies like AI, whether or not you know the customer wants it or not. We're going to then kind of force it into our culture. We're then going to try to build a community around that. We're going to then figure out what the journey is based on what all of these decisions we've already made are. We're then going to produce some type of mobile device and mobile app. Here's your mobile app to, to interface <laughs> with us. And then we're going to hope that we find some customers. That's the inside out. And yet that is the most common approach to how businesses operate. Yep. It's my idea. I'm the leader. I'm business focused first. And then, oh, I need some technology to build this idea that I have. 
and oh, I need to hire some people to help me build it. And then, oh, I, I need some services that are out there in that ecosystem, right? Oh, what's the journey going to be? Like, we are always working inside out. And, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore today. So this outside-in view is start with a customer, work your way inward, and then you can generate business value. Nice. Very cool. So you're basically, what you're saying is basically create something for the customer rather than just assuming what the customer wants because of your own ego or whatever it might be. My, uh, my animal pillows for children. Is there a need out there? Look, there's probably already animal <laughs> pillows out there, right? but, um, you know, that's, that's the goal of every business. It goes back to what we said. If you don't have customers, you don't have a business. True. So your ultimate goal is always solve a consumer's problem. You solve that, that's the customer. You understand what their needs are, what their goals are, what their own aspirations are. You solve that, everything else can be solved afterwards. Love it. Very cool. Good stuff. So customer, uh, and this, uh, sorry, hang on a second. Customer. What was the second one again, Chris? Just remind me, please. Interfaces. That's it, interfaces. So I call them people interfaces specifically because, you know, uh, eh, that's a whole nother conversation. But, <laughs> uh, interfaces. Journey, is that right? Journey? Yep, journeys. journey. So that would be your typical like customer journeys, customer experiences, the, yep. the storytelling that we yep. talked about would fall under journeys. Yeah. And then the fourth one was econ- ecosystems. Ecosystems. Yeah. Ecosystems. And ecosystems deals with your community, both yep. how you build a community internally as well as externally, as well as an ecosystem, you know, your, your data, your connections with partners, your ability to scale, yep. all of that fits within ecosystems. And then you've got culture. Culture, which we talked about which we talked about technology. We talked a little bit about as well. Technology is also where we see data where you can't really do any of this without looking at the data and making decisions based on the data. Leave your egos once again at the door. If, (laughs) if the data tells you to do something, if, if the data tells you your customers want something, do it. If the data tells you your customers don't want something, don't do it. If you are making decisions based on what you believe is correct, you're most likely going to lose those customers. Yep. And then the last one was business, right? Business. And that's where we get the value. That's value alignment with your customer. That's where you're generating business value, where you're growing, scaling your business. Very cool. Love that. And I I know that we're kind of coming towards the end of our conversation, but I I have to ask you this question. Um, You know, being in kind of your industry for a long period of time and you know, you know, 35 years, a very long time, and you've seen radical change from the time of when you got into even now, there's been huge shifts in not just technology, but digital, everything digital. From your perspective, what are some of the emerging trends that small businesses should kind of be aware of over the next few years? And maybe something or maybe things that we could maybe jump on, not for our ego, but maybe things that we should take an interest not necessarily to employ into the business, but to be aware and be educated on what's right and what's wrong? Yeah, it's a great question. And I wish I had a crystal ball. If, <laughs> if I would have predicted all of that back when I was you know, getting into this business, I'd have a lot more dot-coms than I do now. <laughs> um, but you know, when I, 
when I think about the future, like over the course of the next, say, five, 10 years, uh, AI is not going anywhere. AI is going to continue to evolve. AI is going to, AI is basically the dot com of the 2000s. So you, you do want to become familiar with it. You do want to understand it. Uh, increasingly, there's going to be more jobs and uh, more connections, relationships, partnerships built with uh, some level of understanding of AI. I will also argue that AI in today's format is not what it's going to look like in five years. So AI has been around for 50 years. The first versions of AI over the last 40 years have, uh, you know, have obviously evolved. Then in the last 10 years, it's been a big boom. Over the next 10 years, it's going to further evolve. Um, so, but, but understand it, get, get familiar with it. Um, some of the other areas that we see blossoming is going to be in uh, what we perceive our personal devices to be. Like I think our telephones, our mobile devices are going to see a substantial evolution in the next 10 years. Um, they're going to uh, get smaller. They're going to get a little bit, um, you know, it, it's interesting because they keep kind of growing because of screen size, but I actually think they're going to become a, a little bit more compact and they're going to be more connected. We're going to see a lot more in the evolution of, of what we call IOT today, internet of things with, uh, connective clothing, connective, uh, cars, connective watches, like connective devices, uh, connected Eyewear, all of those types of things are going to start to change our uh, our connections with our phones. That's interfaces, by the way. In in our two uh, in our seven stages, second stage interfaces is all about how we interface with our data. Um, we're also going to start to get to these personal assistants. So right now, I've got like a, a Google Home, or you might have a Amazon, uh, you know, a Nest device, and we and we say, you know, hey. Google, you know, give me information and it speaks up and it tells you something. Um, those are going to be coming to us, right? So think about our watches being AI enabled as a personal assistant that we can hear and get messaging from, that we can set reminders and it can interact with us and give us more or less real time personalized information. Um, that I think is going to drastically evolve. The areas to stay away from, and I'm going to get a lot of hate on this. Stay away from the metaverse. Stay away from cryptocurrencies. Like those things are going to fail miserably. If you don't believe me, good luck. Enjoy it. Um, you know, the 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 grounding rule becomes this: think about the masses. If if your technology appeals to a hundred people it's not sustainable. If your idea applies to 100 million people, then it will work. Right now, AI, although it's popular and although there's a bandwagon, it's, it's really only being used by you know, a million, two million people. You, you've got to scale it to that 100 million, 200 million, a billion people. Today, there are 600, I don't know the number. I shouldn't even say it. Almost everybody has a cell phone in their hand, except for obviously parts of the world. But 
the cell phone consumption is massive, right? If we compare AI usage to cell phone usage, AI is 1% of cell phone usage, right? It's, it's minuscule. So cryptocurrency is the same way. Uh, metaverse, no one's going to get into because no one is going to be wanting to put stuff on their heads and walking around. Like it's just not feasible. So you've got to think about the masses. And when you can apply a, a solution to the masses, then you're in a good spot. Love that. Love that. Yeah. You know, it's just really interesting. I just, it was a, it was an interesting question. I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were about it and stuff like that. It's always good to, uh, get an expert insight into what your thoughts were about where the world is going in these days. So, uh, yeah. One more real quick thing is if we see regulations start to go down, like for instance, um, I, I'm not talking about privacy regulations, which are directly correlated with this, but if we start to see some of the regulations in the healthcare industry go down, mm -hmm. as well as uh, financial sectors go down, things yeah. like my checking account. Right now, I, I'll go back to my cell phone. If I want to uh, change carriers on my cell phone, I can take my phone number with me. But right. if I want to change banks, I can't take my checking account with me. I think if we can get to that motion, that opens up a wide range of options for new technologies in the, in, in the financial sector. Same thing with healthcare. If I go from one you know, hospital to another hospital, I got to go through hoops and leaps and bounds to be able to transfer my health information if we remove those regulations and that becomes personalized and I've got wearable devices that can track my health condition, that adapt to my personal assistant that is directly on my watch, right? If those things start to be connected, then the consumer craze for those types of devices are going to skyrocket. Absolutely. An absolute game changer. Definitely. 100%. Well, listen, Chris, this has been amazing. Fantastic conversation, by the way. I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Loved it. Very cool. And for you guys that have been listening in attentively, by the way, if you haven't already done so, do yourselves a favor. Pause this recording now. Rewind and listen to what we've just had a conversation around. Because I tell you what, Chris has dropped some massive uh, value bonds in our conversation. Um, and, you know... Seriously, if you want to get up in the game in 2024 and beyond, you need to embrace digital because it's here to stay. I can tell you that for sure. And make sure you check out uh, Chris's book as well, uh, Customer Transformation on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you are in the world. Check it out because I think it would highly recommend it. So uh, if you guys have been listening in, hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. And uh, do me a favor, just for the benefit of me and Chris, if you have enjoyed today's show, please leave a one or a five-star review over on Apple. Or you can interact with the AI questions and answers over Spotify, by the way. Okay. Uh, you can answer, uh, you can go over there and, and, and leave a review there as well. So just want to say thank you very much uh, to you, Chris, and, uh, and thank you to our listeners. Hopefully we'll see you again back here on the podcast. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers now.